0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
1: The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
3: Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. In honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, on today's show, which is being brought to you in part by AZI and Morphotech, we will be discussing advanced breast cancer, or what is uh, sometimes referred to as metastatic or stage four cancer. According to the National Cancer Institute, approximately 5% of women diagnosed with breast cancer for the first time are diagnosed with advanced disease. And some women who are initially diagnosed with early breast cancer later experience a distant recurrence or a metastasis, which means the cancer has spread uh, beyond the breast to other parts of the body and uh, continues to grow. Uh, You know, thanks to recent advances in research and treatment, thousands of women are living with advanced breast cancer right now. They're surviving longer with a better quality of life uh, than ever before. Uh, Before we get started today, let's review a a few quick facts about advanced breast cancer. More than 2.6 million people are currently living with or have had a history of breast cancer, and of this number, it's estimated that over 100,000 people are living with advanced breast cancer. Uh, And of all metastatic breast cancer cases in the U.S., most are recurrences. And the most common sites for metastases are the bones, brain uh, liver, and lungs. But we should note that there are many types of treatments available for advanced breast cancer. So in the next hour, I'll be speaking with two guests about this important topic. It's our hope that by the end of today's episode, you'll feel better informed and prepared to live life well with advanced breast cancer, be it through uh, spending quality, of, uh, quality time with friends, with family, being able to exercise or feeling secure with the care provided to you by your healthcare team. Uh, I'm pleased to welcome uh, our guest to the show today. First, we have uh, Ginny Nachmuth. She was diagnosed with advanced breast cancer in 2009. Since receiving her diagnosis, Ginny has become active with the Metastatic Breast Cancer Network, a nonprofit organization dedicated to educating and empowering people affected by metastatic breast cancer and a valued partner of the cancer support community. Welcome, Ginny.
4: Oh, thank you, Kim. Nice
3: to meet you. We are also joined today by Dr. Lydia Shapira, a medical oncologist who specializes in the care of women with breast cancer at the Gillette Center for Breast Cancer at Massachusetts General Hospital. She is actively involved in clinical research and graduate medical education. Her interests are in new treatments for breast cancer and the special concerns of young cancer survivors. We're also pleased to say that Dr. Shapira is a member of our National Professional Advisory Board of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome, Dr. Shapira. Thank you. Uh, You both bring incredibly valuable perspectives to the show today, so I want to jump in with some conversation here. Uh, Jenny. let me start with you. Tell us what it was like for you to be diagnosed uh, with advanced breast cancer. How how was your breast cancer detected? When and how did you find
4: out about this diagnosis? Uh, Well, Kim, I was diagnosed in uh, April of 2009, and um, it was triple negative, stage 4, with metastases to the bone um i had had um an earlier stage cancer is considered a stage 0 cancer dcis or ductal carcinoma um 17 years earlier so um you can imagine my shock uh, mm-hmm. i had had a simple mastectomy back then and i was told that that was a guaranteed 100% cure um however we know in breast cancer there are no guarantees yeah um when um i was a uh, Diagnosed, I had um, initially um, some irregularities in the mammogram, mm-hmm. and I did go for a needle biopsy. And um, kind of a funny story now when I look back on it, the surgeon called me and said, "I'm sorry, Jenny, I have some bad news. The um, needle biopsy is positive." And I said, "Positive? Positive for what?" And there was this big silence on the phone, and I'm sure he was thinking, "Has she lost her mind?" But that's how much of a shock it was to me. Even though I had gotten the biopsy, I really did not expect that you know after 17 years, you know I would have um, have this. And so the bi- needle biopsy was the first step, and then I got the tissue biopsy and the you know the lymph nodes. And it's actually the scan that um, actually confirmed um, that it was stage four and had um, and had uh, bone Mets. So um, that's my well,
3: story. So after you got over, after you got over that shock. Jenny, yeah. you know what was the what was the plan? How did you kind of move into to action to make a treatment plan?
4: Um, well, after after the shock of it, um, I I had met with my uh, local oncologist and um, I um, you know had used him 17 years earlier and I had you know I had a lot of confidence in him. He's very bright. He's, yeah. Um, you know, he's very easy to talk to. He's very open. I felt like he was always honest with me. And um, he actually said that this cancer was not a recurrence, not considered a recurrence. It was Mm. um, considered a separate event. And I discussed it with him um, and uh, decided that I wanted a second opinion. So um, I went into, I live outside New York City, so I did go to one of the major cancer centers and uh, got a second opinion. And um, I was very happy I did that. Um, They confirmed the um, course of treatment that he had recommended, and um, they did have a clinical trial, um, which I could have started, but it was just a phase one, very early stage. And at this point, I was just kind of so psyched out that, you know, this cancer had grown so quickly, I felt like I had to um, just do the, you know, standard of care. But the good thing w- about it was that um, they told me to return any time I had a change in um, my treatment. And um, so I was very happy that it was a real cooperative relationship between the um, Local oncologist and the um, cancer center.
3: Yeah, yeah.
4: Um,
3: Dr. Shapiro, let's let's jump in a little bit deeper here. Can you tell
4: our listeners a little
3: bit more about what what the term means? Uh, advanced breast cancer, um, and I also want to get into. Ginny uh, mentioned this term triple negative, um, and I want to kind of break that down a little bit and what that means. But let's start with with what is advanced breast cancer? What do we mean when we say that?
5: So what we mean when we say advanced breast cancer is that it has spread beyond the breast and the regional lymph nodes. It has spread to other organs. We still call it breast cancer because that's where it started, and our treatments will be geared towards breast cancer. But advanced breast cancer is a term that is used interchangeably with metastatic breast cancer, meaning that it has spread beyond the local organ and nodes of origin. The other way we have of describing the situation is not uh, by how far it has spread or the stage, which in the case of advanced breast cancer is a stage four, but by its biology. And increasingly, we are directing our treatment plans towards the biology of the cancer. So the three main receptors that we look at at a tissue level are the estrogen and progesterone receptors, which tell us if the tumor is likely going to uh, respond to hormonal treatments, and HER2, which is overexpressed or made in abundance in about one in four or one in five breast cancers. So if the cancer when we test it in the laboratory, does not have the receptors for either um, estrogen, nor progesterone, nor the HER2, then we call it a triple negative. So it's a subset of breast cancer Typically, about 10 to 15 percent of all uh, patients with breast cancer have this triple-negative type, and it uh, it's very important to know that because when mm-hmm. you're making a plan for treatment, you need to know how likely it is the treatments will work. So knowing that it's triple negative, you know that all of the hormonal treatments are not likely to work and any of the anti-HER2 therapies are not likely going to work either. So in this particular case, for instance, it would limit the choice of treatments but also would lead you to think about perhaps uh, use of some investigational treatments or, as Ginny mentioned, clinical trials perhaps a bit earlier
3: on. Okay, so let's so, so since we're on the topic of, of of treatment, Dr. Shapira, are we seeing improvement um, in the treatment of advanced breast cancer? Are we seeing advances? Are we getting any better at treating the disease once it's metastatic?
5: We absolutely are seeing improvements and I could summarize it by saying that we're refining and personalizing the recommendations for treatment based on the biology of the tumor and increasingly also on the situation and the preference of the person who has the tumor. So the key here is to know and be aware and be very well informed of new drugs and new approaches. They can be drugs that are specifically used to treat cancer, such as chemotherapy drugs or sometimes a targeted treatments or bone of drugs to help clear cancer that has spread to bones, um, and it can also be investigational and based on what we learn about that tumor. There are many new drugs that are in development right now that are trying to um, target things that are going on inside the cancer cells to stop them from growing. And these newer treatments really are, you know, coming up fast and furiously, and they they hold the promise of being more selective, more geared towards the cancer, so there will be less collateral damage, mm-hmm. and they will be also more effective. So I would say that, you know, with conviction that, you know, I'm quite optimistic that many of these drugs that are in development will actually materialize and turn out to be good treatments, and that even outside of the experimental uh, treatments, we have many more tools available than we had um, even a few years ago. Uh,
3: so quickly, before we go to our, our first break here, Dr. Shapiro, what do you mean when you say the, the biology of the, the cancer or the biology of the tumor? Can you just break that down uh, for us?
5: Sure. So the biology is determined by understanding a little bit about what makes that particular tumor grow. Mm -hmm. So in some cases, it may be that it's very sensitive to hormonal uh, influences. Mm -hmm. So by shutting off the hormonal influence, you actually suppress or stop the cancer cells from growing. In some cases, it may be driven to grow by this HER2. This HER2 happens to be a nice little protein that sits on the surface, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. just sit there pretty. It actually sends a whole bunch of signals to the cell to divide and understanding that if you can block it at different points along these pathways, you actually stop those cells from growing along those same lines we 're mm-hmm. identifying other names of other targets inside the cell that are responsible for making these cells grow and that are signaling to each other, so a lot of the new drugs are aimed at you know stopping the growth along those. Um, along those those particular pathways.
3: So, for instance,
5: you'll see that... Dr. Shapira,
3: I think that that we've got a lot of information we're going to get out here. I think we're on a great track in terms of understanding this. Why don't we jump? We're going to jump to uh, a very quick break right here, and we're going to be right back. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer.
0: You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
2: a global network of education and hope.
4: Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphitech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities. Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphitech and its parent company, Azai, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer, it's a lonely word
0: helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health & Wellness.
2: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
3: Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Genentech and Celgene. I'm Kim Chebeldo, and today I'm joined by Ginny Nachmus, a patient who was diagnosed in 2009 with advanced breast cancer, and Dr. Lydia Shapira, an oncologist who specializes in the treatment of breast cancer. We're talking specifically about breast cancer that is advanced, meaning cancer that has spread to an area outside of the breast. And this is kind of cancer that uh, thousands of people are living with uh, today, before the break, dr Shapira um, was really you know, breaking down for us what is it what does it mean when we talk about the biology of the cancer or the biology of the tumor and and you know how does that affect, uh, affect treatment? I guess really treatment that we have available to us now and really the way that folks are, folks are uh, are studying treatment so dr shapira let 's go back to that and and, and just to, to break down what that means when we talk about the biology of the disease
5: yeah so. Um, Going forward in cancer treatments, and it's especially important for this group of women living with advanced breast cancer, we're going to be talking more and more about understanding what makes a person's tumor grow, so whatever makes those tumor cells grow. And that could be things that we measure uh, during routine measurements in the pathology departments like the receptors for estrogen, progesterone, or HER2. But it can also mean trying to identify some targets within the cancer cells that are specially active, and if they could only be stopped, might lead those cancer cells to basically be quiet and not grow further. That is where research is right now. So... Often, you'll hear and you'll increasingly see more talk about doing some molecular profiling on the tumor, and all that means is trying to identify some key steps or mutations that have led these tumor cells to have this growth advantage that allows them to grow. As we identify those and we can tell which ones are turned on and which ones are turned off in individual tumors, we can perhaps match these patients to new investigational drugs that target those specific areas. In this way, we will actually make a whole lot of progress. Now, this may be a few years away,
4: mm-hmm. but it's
5: quickly coming down the pike, and I think that this leads many of us to feel truly hopeful that we will increasingly be able to quieten some some of these advanced breast cancers. Perhaps we will not be able to make them go away forever so Mm -hmm. that, you know, the individual patient will still need to live
3: with it, but hopefully longer and better lives. Excellent. Uh, You know, I I know we're seeing, uh, you know, news and headlines every day about, uh uh some of these advances and I think it's it's terrific and I think Ginny's certainly a testament to that she's been living with the, with the advanced disease since 2009 and these are exactly the you know the kinds of stories that uh uh that we like to hear so we're we're happy to hear about uh about these advances um Dr. Shapiro, I want to shift gears uh a little bit and I want to talk about the uh uh, the healthcare team I, I, I can tell most of our listeners they should uh, they, they should wish that they had a doctor like you because <laughs> I know that uh, so you have that magical formula of being up to date on the latest and greatest and, and, and cutting edge science and I see you at all of the uh, all, all of the latest scientific meetings, but you also have a wonderful bedside manner and uh, so I think your patients you, con- should consider themselves to be very lucky but but uh, help our listeners understand what is what is important for a patient to consider Consider when when selecting a healthcare team. How do they kind of create a criteria for themselves to make sure they're choosing the right doctor and the right team, especially in the face of metastatic disease?
5: Sure. So it has to be a good fit. It has to feel good. And how, you know, if I were creating sort of a list or a good friend, I would say, look at the facility uh, make sure that it's convenient for you, that you can actually get there. If it's important for you that it's attractive and that it's clean, go take a look. Yeah. Look at the yeah. expertise of the professional staff. Um, If it's really important, and I think in this case having especially advanced disease, it's really important, find somebody who specializes in this instead of perhaps a generalist, somebody who has a real interest in breast cancer. Perhaps you you need a team made up of two people. Ginny talked about having a local oncologist she trusts and likes, but also the importance of going to see somebody who is in a research institution who is thinking 24-7 about advances in breast cancer. Sometimes you need both or perhaps you are drawn more to a major cancer center where there's a lot of research going on where if you're interested in participating in clinical trials, you always will have one and you have people, again, who are constantly thinking about this. Um, it may be very important to think about who's going to be part of the team. Uh, who's going to return your phone calls? How quickly will they return your phone call? Who's going to be available if you have a problem on a weekend? All of these things will determine the fit. People, I think, need to make a choice that feels good. And it's important to feel good about where you're getting treated and to feel comfortable um, with the healthcare team. And also remember that the individual professionals work in a certain system and an organization. So you may want to pay attention also to where you're going and how it's managed and whether or not it really feels comfortable for you.
3: Mhm mhm I I think those are all good good tips good advice. Um Jenny h- how did you pick your healthcare team and, and 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 what was that process like for you and um you know how often are you interacting with the team now?
4: Uh well it, it uh, I thought Dr. Spiro had all good points there because um you know you are going to be interacting with them um quite a bit. So um you know it has to be um, a place that you want to go to and where you're comfortable with the Um, setup and the expertise. Um, I go every three weeks, so, um, you know, it really does become part of your life. And um, uh, so it's important that um, you feel like you're getting um, up-to-date care and also care that will also take into account um, your own quality of life. Because um, I think one of the strangest things about metastatic breast cancer for me was that initially it's a worse diagnosis, but it seems like your treatments are um, less severe, less maybe less toxic side effects than if you had um, an earlier stage. And, you mm-hmm. know, the difference is that you're, you know, not trying to give it the one-two knockout punch. You're going to be on in treatment for the rest of your life. So um, that's why it does make a big difference. So so
3: treatment for the rest of your life, Dr. Shapiro, let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about... Uh, a, a, a treatment plan So Ginny talks about Being on treatment for the rest of your life Which is kind of a daunting thing really uh, I, You know I, I, to, to think about We talked about a lot of new therapies coming A lot of target targeted therapies coming along So how do you create A treatment plan for a patient with, with advanced breast cancer I mean are we Are patients kind of taking a treatment And then the treatment stops working And then we move them to another treatment um, How do you decide what order you put the treatments in. Um, Can can you talk to us a little bit about that process? Sure thing.
5: And uh, even though it sounds daunting, Kim, just think about how far we've come in treating HIV. Yeah. Yeah. It is, um, I started my medical training in 1982, which is the year that this, epidemic first started. And let me tell you, it's been amazing to see You know what a difference having effective treatments and going into this chronic mode makes. So I think while it's daunting, I think it's also important to realize that once you get over that, that it's possible to have a very good quality of life and that the, the, what you need is, you know, your own wisdom to know what's really important, the ability to articulate your goals and your needs to your physician and nurse so that they are factored in to this treatment plan, and then the, the judgment and the wisdom of the physician who helps you put all of these things together to give you the best possible outcome. So you put a treatment plan together made out of different little blocks, if you wish, realizing and accepting that there's always going to be some form of treatment. In the particular case of triple negative uh, advanced breast cancer, because you don't have anything like these hormonal treatments that can keep other um, women going for many years with few side effects, it's really important to be very judicious about what treatments you're using so that the treatment isn't worse than the disease. So the way that you work towards creating a treatment plan is first you need a solid partnership you need to understand you know what the options are for that particular disease and situation you need to understand the urgency of treatment so if somebody is really hurting you need to find a treatment that will um, take care of that hurt. Um, if somebody is feeling very well you certainly want to choose a treatment that doesn't make them feel awful from the treatment when the disease mm. isn't bothering them. So it's a matter of understanding the goals, understanding the urgency, understanding the options, and then putting together a sequence a sequence that sort of conforms to somebody's goals, needs, lifestyle, and expectations. Usually you do one treatment after the other, and as you very well said, often you do a treatment until it either stops working or it becomes too toxic. And knowing Mm -hmm. when to switch and what to switch to is sort of part of that professional expertise we talked about earlier.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, Ginny, we've got a couple minutes until uh, our break here, but what was the process for, for, for creating your uh, treatment plan? Have you been on various treatments through the course um, of this disease? Or are you on
4: treatment right now? Yes, well, you'll, you'll always be on some kind of treatment. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, actually I've been, um, I've been very fortunate that I'm on the same treatment um, for two and a half years now, and I hate to say it out loud, I don't want to jinx myself um, Mm-hmm. One thing you, one thing you <laughs> learn with metastatic patients, we get very superstitious about things um, uh, just because we're looking for answers. But um, yeah, yeah. I am fortunate that I'm on the same treatment, and um, that's uh, especially important with triple negative because, um, as Dr. Shapiro said, there's fewer treatments. So um, I did want to just add one thing. Um, yes, please. Uh, doctor mentioned about uh, the disease being chronic and comparing it to HIV. Um, I would say that we're hoping that it someday becomes chronic, but at this mm-hmm. stage, um if you're metastatic, your you're you know, your 5-year survival rate is still is only in the range of 20-25%. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, if people are only, you know, living on an average of 3 years, that's really not um that's not chronic, you know. Give me 10 years, give me 20 years yeah. and give sort of a stable um uh you know, list of treatments or, or a more reliable list of treatments, and then I think you can call it um, chronic. And certainly that's what we're working for and that's what we're hoping for, and um, we're particularly interested in, in treatments that are specifically um, for extending life for um, metastatic patients. Uh,
3: just quickly, Dr. Shapiro, before we go to the break here, are you seeing a mixed reaction to that word chronic, or are you sort of implying that that's what we're heading towards?
5: No, I think that, uh, that Jenny's point is, is, um, absolutely spot on. Um, I think for doctors, um, often, um, the word chronic refers to an illness that you can't ever make go away completely, mm-hmm. such mm-hmm. as this illness, mm-hmm. but that your patients can live with and live with relatively well. Um, And, you know, among the spectrum of patients living with metastatic breast cancer, there are some who actually live a a large number of years, perhaps some of the older ladies with the hormonally sensitive breast cancers that Mm -hmm. are more slow growing, but, you know, I have in my practice, as do my colleagues, some some patients who've lived, you know, close to a decade with that. So in our minds, we yeah. think of that as a chronic illness. It may be very different for somebody who has a very fast-paced tri- triple negative cancer who may think right. that in fact they only have a couple of years if they're lucky and it doesn't feel chronic at all. It feels right. like a real personal threat and it is. So yeah. I think perhaps the word can be interpreted differently, but it, but you know, it's important to also try to be hopeful and think of it as something that can be more manageable. So when doctors use the word chronic, I think we're doing it with the intention of making it a little bit more manageable in the eyes of a patient who may be so frightened at the beginning when they hear this word.
3: Right. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking about advanced breast cancer. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
4: Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities' Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day.
2: a global network of education and hope.
0: Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health & Wellness.
2: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
3: Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's uh, uh, episode is focused on advanced breast cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo. We're joined today by Ginny Nakmus, who is a patient living with advanced breast cancer, and Dr. Lydia Shapira, a medical oncologist with her specialty in breast cancer. Um, Today's show focuses on living well with advanced breast cancer, a disease uh, uh, for which much research is dedicated, and we're discovering new and effective treatments. Um, Certainly, October marks Breast Cancer Awareness Month. The Cancer Support Community uh, has released the third edition of our Frankly Speaking About Cancer Advanced Breast Cancer Educational Booklet, uh, addressing the latest treatments in advanced breast cancer, as well as coping strategies for managing side effects and quality of life considerations. Um, Additionally, the Cancer Support Community has partnered with the Young Survival Coalition, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the needs of young women specifically affected by breast cancer. We're hosting a webinar that addresses the social and emotional needs of young women affected by advanced breast cancer. This will take place on October 13th. Metastatic Breast Cancer Awareness Day. Uh, stay tuned, I'll provide more information about these programs and, uh, and how you can join in uh, on that webinar as we get sort of towards the end of our show. Um, Janine, let, let's go for, for a few minutes to the topic of side effects. Um, uh, have you experienced side effects as a result of your treatment uh, for breast cancer? And if so, you know, how are you managing, how are you managing those side effects?
4: Uh, yes, unfortunately, I've had side effects. I think everybody does. Um, yeah. To some yeah. Extent. Um, uh, I happen to be on um, two different things, and one is a, an oral treatment of pills. And um, particularly with that, you know, my doctor and the um, nurse practitioner had both said as soon as you get any um, side effects, let us know right away, even if it, you know, seems small to you. Yeah. And um, with this medication, there were, you know, some stomach difficulties. But the main thing was um, something called hand and foot syndrome, where your, um, your hands and your feet develop some neuropathy and, and very tender and swollen and hot, and the skin can peel and then it can also go to blisters, so you certainly don't want to get to that stage. So um, I did begin with, um, after a while, did get the hand and foot syndrome, mostly in my yeah. feet, and... Um, the first thing to do is to call your doctor because um, there were things that he could do. He could adjust the dosage or spread it out. There's you know, yes. different, different ways then, but, you know, the bottom line is you still do have it. So um, I have been through every cream uh, under the sun, and I kind of cycle through them, and sometimes I think this one is working better than others. But um, mm-hmm. that's one side effect that, you know, I've, has required some lifestyle changes. You know, you can't right. power walk anymore. You have to, you know. Just manage, make sure you're not putting too much pressure on your feet or, you know. uh. So, Ginny, I have to ask you,
3: have you tried bag bomb?
4: Yes, I have. That's uh, one of the ones. I like it, but
3: I, I go through them and... Yeah, yeah. Because we've, heard, you know, we obviously do not give medical advice on this show, but we've heard women with hand-foot syndrome who have found this uh, cream called Bag Bomb, which the farmers use for uh, for cows' udders, and we've heard women uh, share <laughs> yeah. that that's
4: uh, that that's been a good way to help manage hand-foot syndrome. So, I've been through um, them all. I even tried henna paste once, which um, when you put it on, it feels really great. It doesn't turn your feet orange so you feel kind of committed to it. And after, it's very messy. And so after a couple of weeks, I said, you know, I don't think this is really helping that much more than bag bomb yeah. or any of the other ones. So I do have a box of, of henna paste if anybody wants to try it. <laughs> so uh sounds like we might be going to an Indian
3: wedding. Right? <laughs> Um, But, Dr. Shapiro, let's talk about this for a minute, this issue of of side effects. I mean, you know, do you, when you're starting a new treatment, do you uh, tell patients uh, what they might anticipate? Are there ways that we can prevent side effects? Are we doing better at managing some of these side effects?
5: Absolutely, I tell them. And the question is just how much I need to tell, you know, somebody so I don't uh, scare them. Um, So different people have different needs in terms of how much they need to know, but I really think it's, it's... crucial to be informed uh, because it's so much less scary if you know that, that something's happening because it's an expected side effect, the toxicity of the uh, of the drug. So it's all about trade-offs, Kim, you know, yeah. it's a matter of trying to figure out how much good the treatment is doing and what you're prepared to give up or endure. Uh, in order to get that result. So if the treatment is working, and it seems to me that Ginny is very invested in continuing a treatment that has worked for this long, then you do what you need to do to, to keep going. So you get creative, you lower the dose, you change the schedule, you give a treatment holiday, and you learn to use all of these ancillary medications um, that you mentioned, the creams, the SOBs. Perhaps you give up power walking and you start swimming so you don't put pressure on your feet, but you do Mm -hmm. what you need to do to keep going. So what's really important is to be very uh, open and frank about the side effects. Um, I'll tell you that sometimes I've found that Um, patients are reluctant to tell their doctors or their nurse practitioners about Mm -hmm. side effects because they're afraid that then they're going to be given less of it and they're afraid then that, you know, perhaps that they're going to have to stop and change to something else. So, but it's really important to be completely forthcoming. Sometimes the side effects can be seen and the one thing about hand-foot is that, you know, I don't need somebody to tell me very much. I can immediately, when I walk in the room and I grab a hand, I can tell what's going on. But there yeah. some other things like neuropathy, which are very common, which really depend on the patient herself, you know, telling you everything. So right. um, I can't tell if somebody can't button their shirt or if they're having to give up their morning walk because the bottom of the feet are so numb or they hurt so much that they can't do it. So it's yeah. really important to have it's to have an open line of communication to try to deal with a side effects, to try to be very creative and smart about knowing how to deal with those side effects. Sometimes to think out of the box, too, because perhaps the side effect is really not that, but it's a symptom of something else that's going on. So you need to know the drugs. You need to have very clear communication between the patient and the team. And then you need to try things and work them out, especially if the medication is still effective, to treat the tumor. If the medication is not effective, then it's very clear that you just retire that one and you move on.
3: So um, I think what you're saying is so important, Dr. Spear, for, for folks to know that, that uh, it's so critical to be open. About your side effects, because sometimes maybe patients are tolerating some side effects that they don't necessarily need to. That there are ways to manage it, that you can reduce the dose, that you can take a break. Um, and I think it's important for folks to know that, because I can see how folks might be inclined to to hide that a little bit because they are afraid that the, that the treatment will end and maybe there are no you know no other options for them. Um, is, is it also important, Doctor Shapiro, for for folks to to share with you what's going on in their lives, uh, you know, I've got my daughter's wedding coming up in a month, and and you know, are there things we can do to manage uh, against that? I'd like to maybe go on this you know cruise in the fall, and can we talk about how we can work treatment around that? I mean, are those are those important considerations? Are those oh, things that people should feel comfortable are. sharing with their doctor? Absolutely they are. I had a patient very early on
5: who taught me very well that uh, in this kind of situation, the treatment has to conform to life and life not to treatment. Mm. In general, it's really important to, to tell uh, if there is an important event or a date, whether it's a child's birthday, a cruise to Bermuda, or a, uh, a, a, a college reunion, whatever. Um, we often work, I mean, I certainly often work with my patients calendar in hand and I ask them, they tell me and then we map the treatments out so that, you know, the special event falls in a good week or we hold the treatment back. So it's really important to keep mm-hmm. the communication flowing and I yeah. can't imagine a reason why, um, somebody would not be able to attend these important events, you know. Yeah. Um, unless you're locked into, uh, say an early phase clinical trial where you need to be present to have blood draws and, yeah. and, the, and the schedule is completely fixed and rigid, almost yeah. everything else can be adapted to make life work, really work.
3: So, Ginny, before we go to our break here, um, you talked about having to really go in every three weeks uh, to manage this. Has, has managing breast cancer just become a way of life for you? I mean, are you, have you learned to live with it? Is, does it create anxiety for you? you know, how, how do you cope with that?
4: Uh, well, it does become a, a way of life. It's not like you ever wake up in the morning and forget you have breast cancer. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's you know you you have to make lifestyle changes. Um, I think the most anxiety for most patients comes. Um, most people are scanned every three months, and um, you know, to see if the treatment is still working, and um, you know that that builds up quite a bit of anxiety. No matter how much you tell yourself, well, you know, it's just another scan, and you know. Uh, it, it you know it 's hard not to get anxious that week, right. um,
3: but you just you just decided you're just going to march on with your life
4: yeah well I've, um, i i from my job six months after my diagnosis wasn 't related, mm-hmm. and um I think I was in denial probably up till then because it was mm-hmm. very much I am who I am i work, do so um uh, it wasn 't until I was laid off and had some time at home to really think about it that I think I really came to the point of kind of accepting well. This is my new reality, and, you know, maybe right. I'm not going to have as long to live as I thought. So, you know, I have to really look at the priorities. And, you know, fortunately, I was in a financial position that I could do that. A lot of people mm-hmm. don't have that luxury. You know, they, right. they breast cancer treatment is expensive, and, you know, um, they really have yeah. to cope with paying for that and maybe not being able to work as much. But um, I yeah. was able to make that change. So,
3: But we do hear that, you know, we hear that phrase, uh, a lot in cancer, Ginny. The kind of, kind of, the, you know, the new normal, and and uh, folks really having to, uh, you know, kind of psychologically, emotionally, and from a practical standpoint, adjust to this, you know, defi- find this new normal and adjust to a new, you know, this new reality uh, uh, that's that's, uh, that's come into their life. Um, this is, frankly speaking, about cancer. We're talking today about uh, living well. With advanced breast cancer, um, we are talking about uh, advances in treatment, uh, lots of new treatment options and uh, targeted therapies, combinations of therapies that we're seeing. Uh, we certainly know that, uh, uh, that people are living longer with metastatic disease now than ever before. We're talking about side effect management, coping, and, and we're going to get uh, right after the break into some resources uh, for women with advanced breast cancer. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take a quick break. We will be right back.
0: You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
2: Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. Or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope.
4: Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help.
0: Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials.
4: Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer, created by Amgen
0: to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health & Wellness.
2: You are listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
3: Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Uh, many people in this country are affected by advanced breast cancer on today's show. Uh, we've been having a really amazing conversation with uh, Ginny Nakmus a patient advocate and advanced uh, breast cancer patient, and Dr. Lydia Shapira, uh, a medical oncologist with a specialty in breast cancer and one of our favorite oncologists in the country, if I may say, um, as we kind of wind down, and I'm, I'm sad to say we are getting towards the end of the show, this has been such a great um, conversation, but Dr. Shapira, what are some of the ways that you help patients cope with the social, emotional, spiritual effects of an advanced breast cancer diagnosis? We talked to Ginny about this new reality, this new normal adjusting to that, but there still is that the fear and the anxiety that comes along with every visit, that comes along with every scan, and, and, and how do you help patients adjust to that?
5: I think that's the big challenge for me, you know, day, day to day is to feel that I have a connection with my patient that that my patient understands that I see her as a real person with a life and with hopes and with dreams and uh, with worries perhaps and that it's okay to tell me what I need to know and if something has changed that it's important to me to know. I also think that to be a good oncologist in the setting, you really need to think about mind, body, spirit, you know, and uh, while most of our work takes place in the physical domain and we talk about scans and we talk about objects findings, and we talk about evidence-based recommendation, when it really comes to bearing the illness and tolerating the illness and making a treatment plan, what we also need to do is to take into account what makes this person want to get up and out of bed every day. And I, yeah. I can't guess that. I can't make any assumptions. So I depend on on encouraging my patient to be open enough to tell me what's most important for her, what's going on in her life, what her timing is, what her dreams are, and then to to you know, to be strong enough and humble enough to really help her bear it as best as I can. So it's more of a shoulder to shoulder approach, you know, we're looking at this real problem. I have a whole lot of expertise and experience, and I'm there to assist um, my patient and her loved ones to make the right choices and then to sort of accompany them throughout this incredible journey which will um, make everybody feel at some point a little bit out of control. So yeah. I think it's important to understand that, to have some humility, to be a good listener, to be able to, you know, reflect back to a patient perhaps what she's saying and then help guide her to find the right treatments or the right specialists. So the right support yeah. people to help her bear it. If she's, uh, if she expresses an interest in, in, um, talking to others to, you know, um, to let her know that there are good support groups that might help her. If she is somebody who copes through perhaps exercise or singing or, um, prayer, then, you know, encourage her and, you uh, know, encourage her to go and find people who might be able to provide some guidance. So I think that's the key, really, to be curious, to be humble, to be attentive, and to have some sort of a connection human to human.
3: Yeah, yeah, I think well said. I think all those pieces are so important. Um you know Ginny, how, how do you uh how do you think about the future you know how do you how do you plan for the future whether it's tomorrow whether it's next week whether it's next year um do, do you know do you do you make plans are you planning trips planning vacations time with friends and family
4: um yeah i mean on the one hand you kind of live day to day you um i think you do appreciate each day more um yeah. than you did i mean everyone always kind of gives that lip service but until you get cancer um, you know cancer slows you down um, and 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 does make you look at your life that way um, yeah. My husband is a you know an absolute optimist i 'm a bit more of a realist, but um you know he just thinks that there will always when i 'm ready when a treatment 's failed me there will be something else <laughs> he has a, he has a lot more faith in the research that seems done than <laughs> i do but um, i you know I try to go by by that because it 's a good philosophy to live by i you know i i um you know, I plan ahead, we travel we you know, and in the back of my mind, we do a lot of things now because I am feeling so good, and so um, um you know, I can't say, well, I might not be able to do this next year. that kind of upsets my husband, upsets my adult children, even though um, um that's why I think you do need to um have some contact with other people that are metastatic because there's a lot of things that you have to say that you really don't want to say to your loved ones because you don't want to upset them too much, but you know, you have to cope with these feelings and and um, and uh, do it in a support group, face to face, or you know, online, or you know. Yeah. For me, I I joined an organization, got involved in it, and I've met you know lots of people um, that I can work with, so and and also talk to. So I think that's important right. to help you. And that's the metastatic your network. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. Yeah. I think that I think that's terrific.
3: And. And, uh, certainly with the cancer support community, we're very supportive of, you know, dealing with the social, emotional, financial, oh, yeah. practical challenges of a cancer diagnosis. We've actually got 50 uh, centers around the country where we provide support groups and educational programs, nutrition, exercise, uh, stress reduction for, for uh, people with breast cancer, metastatic breast cancer, all cancers, in fact, at all stage of disease and also for their family members and loved ones. Um just before yeah, we wrap, quickly. Just I'm sorry. That's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, quickly before we wrap, Dr. Shapiro, a couple quick tips. If someone's just been diagnosed with, with, with cancer or advanced breast cancer, what, just what quick advice uh, would you give them at this point in the journey? Uh,
5: to, first of all, um, be kind to yourself. <laughs> take some time to really take it in. Don't. Yeah. Tell, don't. You don't need to advertise it to the world until you're ready to take time to understand it, come to terms. Um, I think that you need to find people to support you, and whether that's family or friends or somebody else, it's important to have somebody to talk to and somebody to help you hold this, to come to terms with the fact that there's going to be a whole lot of uncertainty going forward, and then to begin to organize the coping by gathering information, getting some good opinions, and then once you're ready to start to really make a commitment and a plan towards uh, some treatment, sort of some way out. But I think at the bottom is really to be empathic towards oneself and to understand that it's going to be a hard time, the first three months probably the hardest, and just to line up some supports and uh, basically have somebody who can help um, you face the fears.
3: Well, I think it's great advice. Um, you know, we've had a really terrific conversation today. I, I, I am so grateful to both of you uh, for joining us. I want to mention a couple of resources that are uh, available. I did, you know, mention the fact that we've got 50 centers across the country. We also have an online uh, community where folks are getting online and, and sharing and connecting with one another. Um, we also have just released the third edition of our uh popular book uh, frankly speaking about cancer we have a whole s- educational series called frankly speaking about cancer but this piece is specifically on advanced breast cancer it discusses the latest treatments in advanced breast cancer and information on uh, maintaining a good quality of life uh you can order a free copy of this book by visiting us at cancersupportcommunity.org uh cancersupportcommunity.org you can also find a list of all of our centers around the country and information about joining our online community, managing side effects, dealing with the finances of cancer, all of those uh, elements. And uh, you can also call us toll-free at 888 793-9355. 793-9355. Uh, additionally, as I mentioned earlier, the Cancer Support Community and Young Survival Coalition uh, have partnered to host a webinar to address the unique emotional needs of young women affected by breast cancer. Uh, the webinar will take place at 7 p.m. Eastern um, on October 13th, which is Metastatic Breast Cancer Day. Uh, you can register. It's a free webinar. Uh, visit Cancer Support Community's website at cancersupportcommunity.org, or you can visit the Young Survival Coalition's website at youngsurvival.org. Um, and so, I hope folks will uh, jump onto the site, register for that webinar, uh, you know, visit us online, and take advantage of all of the free resources that we have. Uh, uh, for folks with cancer. Again, I appreciate our guest so much today. It was a great conversation. Um, uh, I want to dedicate today's episode to all women living with advanced breast cancer, including and especially uh, Ginny Nachmus, who was our wonderful uh, uh, guest today, and she also did participate in the the development of the new edition of, frankly speaking, uh, about cancer, the advanced uh, breast cancer book. Again, you know, we want everyone out there to know that you do not, have to face cancer um, alone, please visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org to find out about our wonderful network of of, uh, of resources for um, people with metastatic breast cancer, for people with all uh, cancers. We'd love to get you connected into our community. This is Frankly speaking about cancer. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, be well, do well, live well.